Hello and welcome to Ian's Research Club. I'm your host, Ian T. Today, my guest is someone readers of Art and Market may be familiar with. She's my colleague, Ong Suk Teng. Suk's practice is in the intersections of art making, producing, and project managing. Her personal projects examine human tendencies to control natural phenomena and nature at large. Her current research interests include the experience, the human experience of living with spinal deformity and the role of image making and representations of human bodies in the medical field. She also forms one third of the art collective, the SAD. Silk, welcome to the club. Thank you for having me, Ian. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And um, so the focus of today's episode is your recent project that's titled Rules for Photographing a Scoliotic Patient. It is the project of your first solo exhibition at Objectives, as well as an artist book. Maybe to start off, for readers and listeners who are not familiar, could you describe scoliosis and the conditions that are associated with it? Sure. Um, I'm not an expert in this, but I'll try my best. So scoliosis is basically the curvature of the spine. Um, in some cases, it might be two curves, one at the top, one at the bottom, and in others, it might just be one. Um, there are many different types of scoliosis, um, and in this particular project that I'm working on, I'm focusing on the adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, which develops um, during puberty for teenagers. So that can be between ages of, say, 9 to 13, 14. And there's no known cause for this form of scoliosis, um, meaning that doctors cannot pinpoint to um, a gene in our, in our body, for example, as to why one might have scoliosis. And in Singapore, scoliosis is typically detected through the Health Promotion Board's uh, health screening examination. And what they usually do is to get um, students to bend forward. That's what they call a forward bending test. And when they measure the hump on the back that it's formed mm. and they realize that it's not um, leveled, um, that is a very clear sign of uh, scoliosis developing. So generally, scoliosis also affects more women than men. In Singapore, um, the ratio is about one man for every seven women. And I think internationally, the ratio is one is to nine. Um, and again, we have no idea why it affects more women than men. Um, the impact of the condition also varies. Um, there are people who get a lot of um, backaches, um, even tingling sensations in their body because of scoliosis. And there are others like myself um, who have never really experienced any physical issues with um, having scoliosis. So it really varies. Mm. Yeah. And this project marks quite a, a stark shift from the topics you were engaging with previously, which um, often looked at perhaps the interactions between the man-made and the natural environment. What prompted this investigation into scoliosis? Um, I would say it's both a personal experience and a very chance encounter. So I discovered that I had scoliosis, I think, in maybe primary five. 
and went for a surgery later on when I was 13. So that has always been um, a very significant part of my childhood. And growing up with scoliosis, um, it's always a condition that's becoming a part of me. And then in 2018, when I traveled to London for a leisure trip, I chanced upon um, the Welcome Collection. And the Welcome Collection is a very interesting space where um, there's this intersection of art, science, and medicine. And they have um, many different exhibition rooms. They have a cafe, a bookshop, and a library. So when I entered the Welcome Library, I was just randomly looking for books to check out. And I happened to see books about scoliosis. And what struck me was um, a particular book that had an illustration of a tree being tied. And that imagery um, spoke a lot to me because I made a work in 2015, 2016 about how trees are being staked in Singapore. And that work was called Ways to Tie Trees. Um, and in, in, in photographing those trees at that time, I have never associated my own condition with it. So then seeing this same analogy of trees being tied um, used to juxtapose against scoliosis, it, it, it was just very serendipitous. And mm. I just wanted to make a project that is really focused on scoliosis from there. Yeah, I, I thought that was also um, a point of connection for me as I thought a little bit more about your practice, the project um, Ways to Tie Trees. In a way, it, it, at a very formal level, they are connected. So for that body of work, you actually photograph the, the, the stems of these small trees and they have these um, protrusions. They almost look like braces where they're tied at certain points. They have these metal, literal metal supports that are holding them in a particular direction. And, and I'm curious, what about this sort of um, imagery? What about it drew your interest? Because if we were to look at the photo book that you prepared um, together with this project, you have um, fragments that are taken from what look like perhaps Victorian era kind of um, medical illustrations, um, medical books, but also seemingly um, random images of things that perhaps you may have just came across that has this sort of either C-shape or S-shape sort of curvature. Um, could you talk about the imagery that appears in the photo book as well as how you went about arranging, collaging or juxtaposing these images? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think when I looked at the medical books in Welcome Collections Library, um, being a visual arts student, it was very difficult to spend time plowing through the chunks of text. So what stood out to me naturally were the images. And like you said, there were um, a range of diagrams, illustrations, as well as photographs of patients that the doctors would have um, been observing. So those images... Um, were very interesting in a way that they represent a period of the past. So it's a, it's a reality that's almost so different from what we go through now. Um, we see um, very archaic methods of treatment 
that almost look like they are some form of punishment. Mm. And there's also a very um, strong sense of objectification in the way the human bodies are being, being captured in the, in the pictures. So I think all this um, different visual language within the medical books um, was very interesting for me to dissect as an image maker myself. Um, and in fact, the title of the work, Rules for Photographing a Scholotic Patient, um, is adapted directly from one of the texts in the book. And in that text, um, it actually lays out a set of rules for how a scholotic patient can be photographed. So for example, how you should put the light, how you should position the human body so that you can get um, the, the curvature most clearly. And that set of rule um, became a very important um, way for me to think about how I want to photograph and work with people later on. Um, but back to how I thought about the medical archive and how I juxtapose them with my own images, I think it was a very intuitive process um, where I collected these medical images, but also went about taking photographs of my own um, without them in mind. So later on, when I put them together, um, it, it was very different, but yet similar in, in a way where um, different because, of course, the setting is very different. The medical images were all made in um, clinics, hospitals, and they were all very um, clean and objective so that the doctors can study them for a particular reason whereas the pictures that I make were a lot more organic and it wasn't necessarily to always visualize scoliosis but it was more about the character and the person um, with scoliosis being in a space that's comfortable for them which in most cases is their bedroom. Um, so when juxtaposing the two different sets of images, um, I was thinking a lot about how um, they might relate to each other um, in terms of how they look. So for example, um, the, the angle might be very similar, but then the environment is very different. Mm. Or in other cases, it might be um, the juxtaposition of an image with an, a medical text. So how the presence of the medical text can influence the reading of an image that I've taken, whether it's in contrast or, or in alignment with. Yeah, so I think within the book form, there are many different ways that I try to explore the juxtaposition of images and text. And yeah. that also came with... Um, very close collaboration with the designer of the book, Macarius, mm. um, because I basically gave him sets of um, images and text, and he was the one who thought about the layout and the grids within every spread and putting it out so that it's most um, easy to refer to from page to page. Yeah. Um, to go back to perhaps one of the juxtapositions that, that have appeared in the book. I thought one that really captured um, my attentions was that you have this um, 
what looks like a corset, an older version of um, a brace that would support a scoliotic patient's spine, as well as what looked like perhaps a, a more recent um, iteration of the same, yeah, that, that image, the same um, medical device. But the way that perhaps what you were mentioning about the way that you have uh, photographed the work, for instance, in your image, it's a colored um, photograph and it it is of the medical device on its own, absent of the wearer. Um, you also have um, draped fabric in the background and overall it looked more, um, on one hand, it looks very sculptural. You have some of the formal qualities are being highlighted. But on the other hand, I'm also wondering um, why did you decide to photograph it perhaps without the wearer in this instance? Yeah, and what was it that you were also um, trying to bring out through highlighting perhaps the, the materials, the textures, and also the kind of finishing um, that's seen on this object? Mm -hmm. um, this image that you're talking about, um, I actually took it in the bedroom of one of the participants, and it, it is her old brace. So for one, she can no longer wear the brace, because she has grown past the age of when the brace was made for her and she also underwent a surgery. So that brace no longer um, has a functional um, reason for her to put it on again. And at the same time, because I wanted to photograph the brace as an object, um, it didn't matter whether there was someone who was wearing it. Whereas um, when you look at a lot of the medical archive, a lot of these um, instruments, the braces, um, were worn by models, some of them anonymous, some of them not. Um, and in, in that case, then it almost feels like the human body becomes just a mannequin mm -hmm. to present a medical tool. And, and it was just something that I wanted to veer away from. So whenever I make an image, I wanted to make sure that if it's about the medical object, then it's focused on that. And if it's about the human body, then it's focused on the person that is being photographed. So consciously thinking away from the medical gaze was an important part of making this project. Yeah, and I think perhaps one more thing to highlight, we will include, of course, we will include um, an image of this particular spread um, on Arden Market. But I thought that the, the image that you appropriated, there's also something about it that's quite sexualized, especially the way that um, the, the brace is being tied together with uh, a pair of laces, almost like a corset, whereas the brace that you photograph looks actually quite painful, like it has these more, more masculine looking buckles uh, that are holding it together, which I thought was also something that's quite, quite jarring and quite apparent. So that, that on these different levels, both images speak to very different qualities and also the, have a, a quite different types of connotations attached to, mm -hmm. to the way that they can be read. Yeah. That's um, very interesting because I never really saw them as 
um, different in that in that sense. But I guess um, the one with the medical archive with the lace, the ribbon mm. tying, feels like an attempt for by the doctors to beautify the brace almost into a corset-like object so that um, the patients will be more willing to wear it. But um, And then the buckles then feels like a little bit more of convenience so that mm-hmm. wearers today will be willing to wear it because it's easier to put on and to take out. So it's also different, reflecting different concerns of, of our reality, of mm-hmm. our times. Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting comment that you made. Yeah, and I suppose that, that does make sense. Um, I also want to talk to you about um, your kind of partnership or kind of collaboration with Nigel Wong, who was someone who makes these sort of prosthetic parts and also uh, braces. Could you talk about how you got to know him and what role did he play in this project? I got to know Nigel through a very good friend who happens to be a physiotherapist in a hospital. And she also specializes in providing physiotherapy for scoliotic patients. Um, But she introduced me to Nigel because um, Nigel, as you mentioned, is is an orthotist and a prosthetist working in the same hospital. And what he does as an orthotist is to create assistive devices for patients. So a very common um, example of an assistive device will be our insoles. And Mm. what these assistive devices do is to help um, provide control to any form of condition, any form of physical condition that one might have. So in the form of scoliosis, um, what Nigel will create is a brace. And when my friend introduced me to Nigel and he welcomed me into his um, workspace, which looks very much like an artist space, to be honest, because he had a lot of um, different equipments to to carve things, to melt things, to heat up things. And basically, I was so intrigued by the different objects and tools that were lying around that I knew he had to come on on board this project with me. And um, thankfully, he was very happy to and very generous in sharing his knowledge. Um, And one of the objects that stood out most to me would be the foam bodies, which you also see both in the physical exhibition and in the photo book. And they almost look like um, mannequins, Mm. but um, they are irregular because each foam body is made to an actual patient's torso um, via means of um, scanning and printing. Um, and each foam body is actually um, made as a mold in order for the orthotist to create the braces through a process called thermoforming. So in thermoforming, um, they have to heat up sheets of plastic and then wrap it around this foam body and allow it to cool so that the plastic will then take the form of this torso and that becomes the assistive brace for patients with scoliosis. And these braces are meant to help correct, um, or maybe not correct, but to help to prevent further curvature in scoliotic patients 
um, by long durations of wearing it. So patients usually have to wear it for 17 to 22 hours a day in order to um, hold the torso upright. Yeah, so what happens is that when these foam bodies are made and then the braces are made using the foam bodies, the foam bodies become trash for the autotist. And that trash then became my gem because I started collecting them from Nigel and they were very happy that I was like taking their trash away from them so they don't have to think so much about it. And, and then um, these foam bodies then became um, subject matters of my photography. And I wanted to re-photograph them um, in, in a way that is showing them as almost like with a sense of humanness um, and reducing the fact that these are medical instruments, that these are objects from a hospital, from a clinic. Mm. Yeah. So that was the main bulk of my um, collaboration with Nigel. Was there anything you learned during the course of your research that surprised you? Mm. I think what surprised me most was how varied experiences are. So I found and met a lot of people with scoliosis, but every single journey was so different. And what surprised me was also how little we talk about it, even though it affects each of our lives for a significant period of time, as well as, you know, even up till today, a lot of them are still... Um, going through certain things because of scoliosis. So there is very little um, discussion, very little awareness about scoliosis, even though it's such a, um, I would say, common condition. And in working with the authorist Nigel, I also learned um, more about how healthcare professionals can can be very thoughtful and can be genuine in their interaction with patients. Um, even though I myself might have some unpleasant experiences with, with healthcare professionals in some way or another. So yeah, it was, it was really, really nice to be able to work with Nigel and to learn that um, there are genuine <laughs> doctors giving care to patients yeah and um so as part of the photo book you also included um, a series of interviews personal interviews with um, patients whom you have met and i'm wondering how did you navigate the sensitivities of telling their personal stories um i set out to communicate as clearly as i could which was quite a challenge for me because I work in a very intuitive way. And before embarking on this project, most of my um, endeavors have been very much solo. Mm. So this is the first project where I am focusing on people and I am working very closely with the people. So um, I knew that I had to be clear in order to um, give them 
more assurance and for them to feel more comfortable in having me around. So when I reached out to um, these people with scoliosis, especially those through a Facebook group called Scoliosis Support Singapore, um, I limited the parameters to three things in the project. So the first is a portrait of their back in a personal space like their bedroom. The second is a video of their body, of their backs moving. And the third is a conversation that will be um, audio recorded. So um, these set of parameters were only in place after I worked with a few closer friends with scoliosis. Um, and, and then it's through that that I started to carve out what um, intentions I want to have for working with more people who are strangers to begin with. Mm. Yeah, so in, in telling these very sensitive stories, I think it was very important to have them feel comfortable and have them feel like they will be heard and they, that they will be understood and not um, dismissed or just, you know, being talked over. So a lot of the work was done um, before the shoot in terms mm. of communicating, in terms of conversing. And I would have a Zoom session with each of them before I meet them at their homes. Yeah. Why did you think um, your interviewees were open to being a part of your project? I mean, like you mentioned, it's also included um, very intimate photographs of them. Even though it's their back, you don't see their faces, but it's quite uh, a vulnerable and very exposing um, scenario to be in. Did they tell you their reasons for participating? It is a very intimate experience to be in someone's bedroom and um, to see them nude or partially nude um, for the first time. Um, but I, I think that it, it was easier because we are strangers bonded by the same condition. And it's very rare to speak to someone else with scoliosis. So that, that bond helped to break a lot of ice already. There was a common topic that we could dive right into. Um, another reason why they would also welcome me into their space, and I recognize that um, it is a privilege that I'm a woman. Um, and because scoliosis affects more women than men, um, most of the participants are women as well. So being a female photographer really helps assure them that um, the intention is purely um, for visual study of um, their backs. And I guess also they can be assured that the gaze is also a feminine gaze. It's someone who, who understands the female body. Um, some of them did mention that they want to be part of this project because they've always wanted to document their scar. They've always wanted to photograph it, but they never knew how to or who to go to. Um, some of them um, simply wanted to be part of a project to speak up about scoliosis. 
And I think for most of them, it was their first time seeing their bags in full view. Um, they would always be quite surprised at the photographs or the video because um, it's very hard to get a full view of your bag. Yeah. Um, yeah, we only see one side of our body half mm. the time. Yeah, so I guess I'm very thankful that um, the stars align and, and they're all very willing to, to be part of this. Speaking about the, the scar and, and the idea of invisibility, your interview with JS really stayed with me and he had a statement about the visibility of this condition. He said, um, I quote, in fact, when I got the scar after the surgery, I got more comfortable with my body. It's more explainable because the scar is right there. Prior to the surgery, it could have easily been seen as just bad posture. And I thought that was something that was very, for me, it was something very profound. I think it spoke to not just um, scoliosis, but also many other conditions which are not visible that people carry with them. And it also, um, it's something that also made me think um, whether, or, or rather how gender perhaps played a role in shaping the experiences of the patients you spoke with. Because like you mentioned, um, majority of the patients are female and for instance when JS made his statement he was speaking about it in relation to um, his school as well as um, serving national service as one of the uh, kind of context around which this statement was being made. Um, through your kind of conversations with them did you feel that it, the experience is also one that's very gendered in a way or were there perhaps other kinds of um, scenarios or conditions that that shape the experience perhaps more than gender? Mm. I the project is definitely not representative of the spectrum of experiences across gender because I've only worked with fifteen people so far, and out of fifteen. Um, two were men and the rest were women um, but I think a general observation is that the women seem to be more affected by issues of body image and that might be conditioned by the image consumption in our society where we see a lot of pictures of what the society think is beautiful for women to be and that narrative is also shifting as, 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 we are, as we've grown up um, to know. Um, but generally, I do notice that the women have a little bit more anxiety over how they look mm. and the fact that um, their body is asymmetrical gives them um, less confidence in doing certain things, wearing certain clothes. Whereas... Um, in the interview with JS, he didn't talk a lot about um, how scoliosis affected the way he looks, but he spoke more about how scoliosis affected um, the tolerance of his body and how his peers or his colleagues may not trust him when he says that he's having a backache. And mm. therefore, having a scar actually helps explain this even more. In a, in a way, validating that he has this condition. Mm. So I, I think if I were to continue working on this project and 
um, discuss with more um, people of different genders, I could answer this question um, more fully. But mm. as of now, um, this is probably the only um, observation that I have. And again, every individual with scoliosis goes through it so differently that, like you said, there are many different factors that can come into play and it goes down to um, family structure. Um, can your family even afford a treatment that surrounds scoliosis? It comes down to support system. Do you have friends and teachers in school and family members who understand what you're going through and are willing to go through it with you? It also comes down to um, personality. I think the way we see ourselves and the way we express ourselves also affect each of our experiences with medical conditions. Yeah. Um, the next thing I want to talk to you about is the process behind giving form to this research. So I think in a lot of contemporary practice, you have um, artists who conduct their own research and then later try to give it form, whether it's in the, uh, in the shape of a documentary film, a series of photographs, text, or even um, sculptures and paintings. And um, the exhibition and photo book both of yours both draw from this same pool of information and imagery. And I'm wondering, was the show and artist book developed simultaneously or one came before the next? How did it come about for you? I would say they developed simultaneously. Um, and it's because I've always liked using the form of a book as a way to make sense of things. So in my past projects, most of them have also landed themselves into uh, the book of a form, uh, sorry, the form of a book. And I think it's also very natural for me to develop this scoliosis project that way. Um, in terms of how they developed in tandem. Um, so for context, I was working on the book with Macarius, the designer, and I was developing the exhibition with my mentor, Hannah, um, and the programmer at Objectives, Chelsea. Um, so I think each of them brought very different sensibilities to both the physical exhibition and the photo book. Um, with the photo book, I would say that Macarius had a lot of input um, and I really trusted him um, to work with the images and text in, in the best way that the book form can have in terms of design. So that apart from um, pairing up images, I think a lot of the details were refined by Macarius. And, and, and the book form eventually becomes um, this very intimate space where most of the materials were being put into. Um, and then with the physical exhibition, it's also with the consideration that the lower gallery of objectives is a relatively small space. It's a very uh, neat rectangle but um, almost like a bedroom size uh, rectangle. And so what Hannah, Chelsea and I had to think a lot about was 
how do we not overwhelm the physical space? Um, especially because I had a lot of different materials and objects within this project. So that really helped to reduce a lot of the materials into just one or two main items. So for example, for the foam bodies, even though I had like 30 of them, I had quite a bit of images. There was only one that was enlarged and hung on the, on the wall. Um, and the rest were all within the photo book. So with the physical exhibition, um, the photo book also helped to carry the depth of the, of the research without overwhelming that, that space. And another consideration that we had um, in the physical exhibition was how do we deal with images of nudity more sensitively? Because we feel that when images go out into the world, very often we lose control over how that image is being read, is being reproduced, is being captured. So um, it was quite a conscious um, decision to keep most of the images with nudity in the photo book where a visitor will really have to sit down and be intimate with this book object and flip through the pages in order to view these um, sensitive images. And even with the videos that showed the bare backs in motion, they were kind of tucked behind a corner of the exhibition and blocked by uh, partition walls. So you really had to take um, a bit of a journey to walk to the back and um, have a bit of solo time with the videos. So it's not something that you can see right in your face the moment you walk into the exhibition. Yeah. yeah. I think about the video, that was something that that approach towards the, its presentation was something that is some... Um, it's really shaped by the experience of navigating that partition. And then you also created a very intimate space because it's a very unusually narrow kind of um, space between the screen that was showing the video as well as where the viewer could stand. So in a way, it's it almost gives you the sensation that you are looking at another person in front of you. You don't have that sort of uh, distance that perhaps change the gaze that you have towards this sort of new images and uh, the scale at which the video is being shown is also very close to that of like a human one-to-one -one kind of um, ratio so I for me I think that created quite a emotional experience yeah just seeing how the body moves I think it's, it was a very different experience from looking at the still images which could, which could be quite um which looks a lot more aesthetic, I suppose. But mm -hmm. when you see it in movement, you have these little quirks or irregularities. These things really come across much more apparently watching the body in motion rather than a still image where perhaps your attention would be on um, where the scars are, for instance. Or you might even be distracted by what's in the background, what's in that person's room rather than mm. the subject themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And... 
the reason why I got into the videos was also because I realized the limitations of still photography and how still images are unable to reflect the kind of restrictions that um, scoliosis might have on someone's torso. So for a lot of people who went through the surgery, it would mean that their torso is rigid. Mm. It's like how a tree is being tied to a rod, right? It's, it no longer can bend the way like before. So I think that kind of nuanced mo motion can only be reflected in the video. And um, the book then becomes um, more concerned about that kind of juxtaposition with archive of the past and images of today and really thinking a lot more about um, medical gaze and photography in the medical field. Mm. What were the responses of your interviewees when they saw the photo book and exhibition? Most of them were very surprised. I think because they, they didn't think that anyone would give their bodies the space and attention to be seen. Um, and again, it's, it's back to the same fact that they didn't get to see their backs in full view before. So seeing it again in front of them was always a surprise for them. And I think another dimension of it was that they're also seeing their bodies as part of an art presentation. Mm. So the artistic quality of it also maybe helped them feel like um, their bodies are being elevated, um, which is a very different experience from when, you, when, when your body is being treated in a hospital or a clinic. And very often, um, we are just conditioned to follow instructions in hospitals. You know, step one, take off your clothes. Step two, um, do this. So I feel like it also helped them um, see their bodies differently for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious, when you were photographing and taking the videos, did you give them prompts, for instance, on how whether to, um, in terms of the posture that they take and also perhaps... Um, how to move. Yeah, yeah how to move. Um, differs from person to person and it's, it's very much dependent on their personality. Some of them who are dancers or have learned some form of dance before are very good in maneuvering around space. So... Um, they really don't require a lot of directions, whereas others might um, be a little bit stuck and feel more comfortable in having um, some kind of guidance to how to move their body. But generally, because of um, the limitation of the bedroom and the fact that they are mostly sitting on their beds, there were only um, a few sets of postures or movements that we could explore. Um, so that was also in a way helpful in um, setting another kind of visual parameter within the project. So you would see that a lot of the participants were either sitting upright and in the, in the video, they would be bending forward. They would be, you know, trying to stretch their backs from left to right. So this, this very limitation then became a set of... Um, 
manageable instructions that then created that visual language within the video. Mm. Yeah. And to, to go back to the photo book, um, this is not the first artist book that you have made. So you have mentioned that you have an earlier project that's titled um, Ways to Tie Trees from 2018. And you also made a photo book for that project. And I'm wondering what does the medium of the photo book offer to you? And also, um, how did you perhaps think about the elements of photo book that you wanted to explore uh, in this project? Um, like I said, the photo book is a way for me to structure and make sense of things because a book has a start to, end, to an end and then it has its exterior and its interior. And there are so many components of a book that um, we can conceptually think about, like the book's spine, the book's cover, um, how big is it, how heavy is it? All this can all um, become vehicles to carry different ideas that can work for different projects. So I've always seen it as a very malleable um, form um, that can be adapted across projects. And when I think about the photo book, um, what I really like about it is also how intimate it is. The fact that um, a reader will have to hold on to this object and to um, flip from page to page, um, as well as how um, different the experience of reading a book is for every individual someone can come and open the book right in the middle and start right there. And another person might come along and really want to start from the, the first page and you know flip every single page to the end. So that different um, path of encountering is also very interesting for me in terms of a book form. Mm. Um, and I guess I am also very inclined towards the photo book because I love textures. And within a photo book, there are so many different surfaces that you can play with. You can have one page that feels smooth and the next page is rough and the, the next page is torn and tethered. And, and it, it just offers so many different permutation to play around with within this one single object. Mm -hmm. So um, I think to date, I have probably made like five or six uh, photo books whether published or self-published or in, in its dummy form and mm. that's also not inclusive of like the zines that I would make for fun um, so when I think about adapting projects into the book form um, for me it's a very intuitive process and I think it might also come from the fact that I grew up with in a family that has a very strong affinity with paper because both my parents used to work in uh, print companies and I would see them bringing, you know, different kinds of paper home. Um, they have a very strong understanding of um, material and printing techniques and colours. So that kind of just seeped into the subconscious as I grew up. And so when I, when I work on a photo book now, um, my brain just can think about the book in so many different ways at once. And mm. I still find it quite difficult to articulate that kind of um, way of seeing right mm. now because I think it will take me a long time to try and dissect 
um, the different parts of the understanding. Mm. Yeah. And um, I think for perhaps also something that uh, people who have um, encountered the book in person, something that they would be more sensitive to would be also some qualities that were only apparent in the physical print itself. Even if people had access to a digital version of your artist's book, there are some elements which are only available in person, in the real object. And could you talk about these elements? Yes, um, I'm very glad that you brought that up because that's also the other reason why I love photo books because no matter how you digitalize it, it will never be the same as a physical one in your hand. Um, so in, in the case of this project, um, one of the most prominent physical element will be the sleep case. The sleep case is actually handmade um, by Macarius, the designer, myself, and together with my mother. So um, it's designed by Macarius to look almost like a brace. And it's made up of high-gloss white paper with three uh, strips of Velcro. So the Velcro um, points back to the picture of the brace that we were talking about earlier, where in the form of a brace, it's supposed to tighten and hold the body together within the brace. And in this case, the Velcro straps are supposed to hold the two booklets of the photo books together as well. Um, and I guess another prominent design that Macarius also wanted to emphasize on was working with the spine of the book in relation to the spine of the human body. So in the pages where um, the, the sewn thread can be seen. Um, the images were also selected very consciously such that the sewn thread that cuts across the page becomes another way of, um, another addition to the reading of the image. So for example, in this particular spread with a very close-up of the scar of a scoliotic uh, patient, um, the, the, the line in the middle of the thread almost becomes a comparison to how curved the scar is mm. and how um, just in how, how organic the body is compared to um, the regularity of you know straight lines of bones. Yeah. 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 In, in a way the sewn um, thread almost becomes this line from which you could judge how symmetrical the body is because it, it, it bisects the, the spread exactly in the middle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what are your sort of, uh, what are the kind of personal reflections you have after putting together this exhibition and book? Did, did you feel that your relationship with scoliosis changed as a result of this project? Um, I have grown so much respect for the people who have gone through scoliosis and I feel very lucky that my own journey hasn't been that tough at all because some of the conversations that I've had with um, other people with scoliosis can, they really sound like a, a very tedious and painful journey. So um, I'm glad that this project has also allowed me to think back about scoliosis in a more 
um, expensive manner. Uh, that is not just about my own memory of it. And I think putting together this exhibition and artist book was also um, in a way possible because of the distance that I have from my own experience. So it's been, I guess, about 15 years since I went for that surgery. So this distance, this period of time of not being so close to that memory also helps me um, to have the space and courage to talk to other people about it. Um, and it also made me realize how much more needs to be done because um, there are really a lot of people and more people, more teenagers are finding out that they have scoliosis, but very limited channels in which they can find out more information about. Um, I have friends who are teachers and they're sharing with me that they, they have students who um, are dealing with body image issue because of scoliosis um, and they don't know what to do. So there, there are a lot more that, that needs to be done with this um, project and I guess also thinking about how we can better talk about medical conditions in a way outside of the medical field, that there are many different ways that we can talk about conditions that we experience, not just through the, the ways that are mediated by hospitals and healthcare professionals. And so this project also made me realize that it is important for creatives, for artists to contribute to this kind of conversation mm. Um, that in a way is very universal because I think we would all struggle with mortality and bodily conditions at some point in our lives and to be able to have a different way of processing it of thinking about it really helps to um, helps us to deal with the reality better yeah so yeah, it's a project that I'll continue working on. I think it will be for a few years, um, slowly, but surely. Mm. And yeah. um, as a final question, is there anything else that you would like to say or um, something that you would like to plug? Um, I would like to say that if anyone who's listening to this has scoliosis or you know someone with scoliosis, um, and if you're interested to be photographed and to share your experience, you can reach out to me um, either on social media, Facebook, um, and I'll be very happy to work with you and to see what we can do together. If not in this format that has already been established, we can you know, maybe explore new ways of um, telling the narrative. And... I would also like to encourage um, people to share the project with others whom they think might benefit from this. And lastly, the book is also available on the Book Show's website. If you would like a copy of it, that will um, really help the Book Show in um, coming up with more meaningful projects to help publish um, other artists' books as well. Right. Thanks so much, Sok, for your time and thank you for your personal sharing. Thank you, Ian. It's been a pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to Ian's Research Club, another market podcast. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to stay updated when new episodes drop. You can find the podcast by searching Ian's Research Club on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Do rate and review us as it helps others discover the show. For images of the artworks and exhibitions discussed, visit the ANM website. Our URL is www.artandmarket.net. Follow ANM on Instagram and Facebook for more specialist content on Southeast Asian art. Till next time, bye!